What's up, everyone? Welcome to the War Whiskey Podcast. I'm Justin Fisher. Hope everyone's enjoying this Friday afternoon and not getting too scorched out there. Special thanks to everyone who's tuned into the channel and help it grow. We're just going to keep putting out new content along with new merchandise that's coming out soon. Uh, hats, shirts, and all kinds of cool stuff. So today's topic, the Army Combat Fitness Test versus the Army Physical Fitness Test. Does one test determine fitness? Now, this is a, a political hot topic and currently because it's mentioned in the FY24 National Defense Authorization Act. And for everyone who doesn't know what that is, the National Defense Authorization Act determines the appropriations and the direction that the military as a whole is going to go. Um, it starts with the Armed Forces Subcommittee. And they kind of push it out there and uh, say, hey, this is what we want to do. This is the direction we want to go. And there's some interesting stuff in there. It's public, of course, it's public, you know, viewing. You can see it anytime you want to. Everything from the Army to the Space Force is mentioned in there. In this proposal is replacing the Army Combat Fitness Test with its predecessor, the Army Physical Fitness Test. Okay, so the little context in my civilian viewers, which I'm so thankful I have. Currently, we do what's called the Army Combat Fitness Test. It was stuck in development hell forever. It's a six-event test that's designed to mimic combat conditions. Extremely easy to pass, hard to max. Um, the controversy with this thing is that I have slowly kind of nerfed it down, to use some of the kids' lingo these days, to fit a certain subgroup that was that was kind of suffering and not scoring well on it. So what basically the, the departure from the culture in the past was here's a standard here. Here's where you are. You need to be here. Okay. That's, that's how that works. Now they're like, no, let's bring this, let's bring the standard down. Let's keep down. Let's keep going down. And the argument from the politician side is like, Hey, look, this has not increased fitness levels to where we think they should be. But then again, the Army Physical Fitness Test, which was a three-event test consisting of push-ups, sips, and a run. How did that change things? You have two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and you had the run within your designated time, basically, age and time, things of that nature, age, time, and gender. So you had to, you had to basically make your run, whatever. So how did... How did that determine fitness? And what we're doing is we're putting so much focus on one test, giving us a snapshot of everything, when we really should be looking at the culture and saying, hey, do we have a culture of fitness? Now, currently, we're doing this thing called holistic health. It's basically the health of the force initiative where we have we have mental health and, and physical health and spiritual health, all these, these, little, these little buzzwords rolled up into one. And we're saying this is what the soldier needs, and this is what's going on. Now, this now I gotta put a caveat out here. This is a, a perspective from a guy who's been in 24 years as of next week, all combat arms. So I came up in what's called the salty army. So we my perspective may be unpopular, but it's it's rooted in experience and fact. So we can you can argue it in the comments. I'm I'm okay with that. Um so what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, hey, here's a Holistic health, we're looking at the spiritual, mental, all this stuff, which is great. I honestly do think it's a good thing. However, we're getting away from the culture of discipline and, you know, like inspiring someone to be currently physically fit on their own. 
And what I mean by that is like, I wake up every day and do, and do some type of fitness, whether it's CrossFit or it's lifting weights, even when I'm injured. Okay. I've been doing this for 24 years. I've always kept myself in good shape. Okay. There are people in the military and the, and the ones who do that are, are, are small few, but there's ones in the military, especially if you look at the national guard side, things of that nature who wait two weeks before their fitness test to start training for it. You'll see them. I mean, I, I'll tell you this right now, September, and October are usually the fit the, the the when they do the fitness tests, and May too depends. You will see that track fill up two weeks out. People be out there running, um, practicing some kind of event, doing something. Rest of the year you'll never see them. So tell me, how does these tests determine fitness for the force? They're just a snapshot, not even a good snapshot. And we should be kind of looking at the culture. Now, when I got in, I got in in August of 1999. As I said, next next week is my August 16th, actually, uh, will be my 24th year in the military. And we'll have a special 24-year reflection of why you should have a, a plan after school, kids. Um, when I got in, you went, I went to a basic training at Fort Benning, now called Fort Moore. There is a place when you, when you get there, first they pick you up at, at Atlanta Airport. You drive there. The planes are always late, like always at night, late, late flights. Drive there. You're tired. No sleep because you're on the bus with a bunch of people. They're all, you know, they're all trying to establish dominance, blah, blah, blah. I was a little country. I now talk about, like, my experience next week when I went through it. But basically, you get there. You're tired. You report to 30th AG. You get about three hours of sleep. Get up. And next thing you know, you're getting all your stuff putting all your clothing, putting it in a bag, locked up, you're getting your head shaved, you're getting all these shots, you're walking around in your underwear, you're doing all, you're getting your, you're doing all this stuff that basically strips of you, of your humanity and your identity, which it should be. You join in the military, they need to take you from this, from point A and get you over here to point B in the form that they want you in. That's how it has to be. I mean, it is. Combat's, combat is a unique animal it's a it's a living entity that you have to be receptive to that means you have to break yourself down to absorb it so however at 30th ag you have at the end of it before you go down range which is a term meaning you'll go down to basic training your basic training site it is you have to do a, like i don't know if they still do but then they had to do a fitness test and this is this is this is, this is like 99 2000 okay so get out there you do and it's not even a full fitness test it's like a a half version of it. And I was about 135 then, I think, maybe on a good day. I was a track runner. So I could do the the required push-ups, which wasn't much, the required sips, which was one month. And I ran a one mile. I mean, I was just crushed it, whatever. And they said, hey, you over there. You over there. The next guy, the our people who didn't pass, they pushed him off to the side and we never saw him again. They were stuck in what we could, they basically went to the, the fat boy platoon and that's what they were called fat boy platoon. And you're like, man, that's really toxic. That's the environment. That's how it was. And sometimes that has, has to be because that, that tells them that they have to perform. That's hey, look, you, this is where you're at. You're basically, they put them in fat boy hell and their goal was to a not eat a lot. B get thrashed until they got in shape and either went down range with the next class or out-processed. That's usually what happened. Hey, I got injured, whatever, I can't finish, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, I could not imagine being recycled and stuck there. Um, like it just, it just, I just can't conceive it. The rest of us, high five! Hey, congratulations! You're going down range, and we got our bags. We, I, it wasn't really a graduation. We just kind of got on these these called cow trucks. I'm talking about this next week, and we proceeded to go down range and get annihilated, destroyed, and it was, it was. It was just mass freaking chaos. Just, and it was just horrible, horrible. You really is just destroyed, but it was needed. However, it was just, it was a Normandy Beach experience, to, to say the least. You know, not, not, not making any light of that. However, that was, that was the, that was the culture. Okay. Here's the standard. Here's where you are. Either you get to the standard or you go home. That was it. We've kind of adopted this thing where we say that's a bit too toxic. Like, oh, no, we can't. We all can't meet the standard. So we're going to lower the standard to them. In fact, the uh, Secretary of the Army actually did that and had to answer a question about making it more inclusive. And that's what they've done. They've, they've created this inclusive and diversity councils and things of that nature. And it's it's allowed them to kind of like replace events and things of that nature because we're kind of bending the standard to people. Now, I... They're, they're, everyone's built differently. Everyone's built differently. However, I wouldn't say back then, the pre-9-11 army, which is how I'll refer to it as, if you couldn't do a pull-up, you eventually will learn how to do pull-ups by getting everything ready for that. Now it's like, and this is just kind of like an analogy, if we don't know how to do pull-ups now, we're just going to take them out so you don't have to worry about it. It's like if you go to a community-based gym, and you cater to the people who are always going to scale and all like automatically going to do it. And you're like, okay, hey, we're going to take this workout and actually make it what you're going to do today. So we all feel good about ourselves. That's what it's like. That's exactly what it's like. That doesn't win wars. Not at all. Not even remote. Combat's unforgiving. And the ACFT came about because what was happening was when we started going to Iraq and Afghanistan, we started we 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 as an army are not prepared for the next battlefield. We've historically not been. Now, the specialized, the, the special operations units and things of that nature, they do a good job of doing multi-domain training or vertical training and, and you know, amphibious training, things of that nature. They're, yeah, they do that because they have the budget to do it. They absolutely can do it. But the conventional, the sledgehammer that is our arm, the bulk of the army, that they really have not done a good job of adapting to these different terrains, Okay. And we've gotten better a few lessons learned. However, we had to learn these lessons a hard way. So when we went to Iraq, we, when we were getting ready to go there, when I joined, we were doing what's called you know, Cold War Tactics, Open War Tactics, which is basically, um, to break it down, was kind of like Desert Storm-ish type maneuvers, and which is the bread and butter of what our tactics are today. To break it down for everyone, fire combat is simple. I gain fire superiority and I maneuver on you. Fire and maneuver. That's the two terms that you need to know to survive in combat. Fire and maneuver. Okay. I do precise firing from a position that could, that pins you or limits your movement. And then I can flank on you to event an advantageous movement and destroy you. That's what it is. Um, I can refer references Dick Winter's trench um uh clearing a trench line he established a bow drill for that. Uh if you take that and you kind of modify it, you can go into urban warfare. It's kind of a little bit harder to do that. The game fire superiority in that room, but you're still trying to do that. And it's still the basis fire and maneuver. That's the two things you have to do. However, things change when you're in open warfare, a jungle warfare type scenario. The injuries are different as you are in an urban 
and mountainous terrain. And that's what we started determining is that when we're sending these units in these mountainous environments and they're moving up and down, they're getting knee injuries, angle injuries. Um, and urban environments, we're, we're seeing more, you know, blown joints, things of that nature. Uh, I, for example, I uh, completely destroyed my knee on my deployment. Absolutely. Right knee, MCL, ACL, all of it, gone. Uh, it would literally pop out socket. And I would have to, like, run how to I run weird on my left leg to keep it in. Because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave. Oh, the injury guy, I didn't want to leave. And um, when I got back, and this kind of ties into what we're talking about, the development of ACFT, they had so many. So war is great. So back up. War is awesome. War is great until you see the cost of war. Like, holy cow, we're losing people. Holy cow, we're losing equipment. Holy cow, it's not going smoothly. That's when war is not that cool. War, everyone thinks war is sexy. And for the most part, if you're in it, it is. It's pretty awesome. Especially you can do your job and say, oh, this is awesome. This is great. There's a huge cost that does not, that does not at all, you know, make it better. It is a horrible cost. Absolutely horrible cost. When those costs are happening, the medical, the deaths, things of that nature happen, that's when people are like, wait a minute. Well, well what's going on here? We, we're the best army in the world. How are we, how, how, how are we having problems? Well, the environment we were in was neutralizing our strengths, basically. One of our strengths is physical fitness, okay? If I'm fighting someone who grew up in the mountains, and I grew up kind of not in a sea level of only 500 feet, they're probably going to have a marked advantage over me. So if I'm in Afghanistan, trying to fight up a hill to clear it to get to them, they're probably going to have a marked advantage over me. So that's the things that we were running into. Same thing in Iraq. Okay, I was in Iraq. I were doing a lot of urban operations, okay? Those things take a toll on your body. Um, all this stuff is going on. So when I got back, I was placed in a thing they called CB8CO, which was kind of like the predecessor to the warrior transition unit. Now they have a unit. If you're wounded, you come back. Basically, you rehab and come back to work. But then they didn't really have a plan for us. And I'll talk about that later on next week's podcast. But they didn't have a plan for all these wounded. There was wounded sitting around all over the place. I uh, literally, like the guy, when I got there, I had my knee operated on. I went into um, my room. And I met my roommate. He literally got hurt on a truck six months before. Didn't even deploy. And he's been stuck there ever since. And he just been lost in the paperwork. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I ended up getting myself kicked out and moved to a rehab facility to get better. And it worked out for the best. But that being said, so they didn't know what to do. So they started looking at what caused all this. Instead of looking at we probably should have trained for these different modalities and these different domains, we started looking at our fitness levels, which we should, absolutely. And that's how the ACFT came into effect. They said, okay, this is a 60-minute test that has deadlift, it has some power throw, it has some kettlebell carries, it has things that mimic your conditions in combat. And we'll put a two-mile run in there because we had to have a two-mile run for whatever reason. Um, we've never really been able to justify a two-mile run. Um, the Air Force does like a mile and a half, which makes way more sense because it's more – you're not going to run two straight miles. You mean, you're really not. Uh, but something that we came out with is what we do. Um, it's just something that we have to deal with. But I'm really going to transition to this right here. And this this statement is going to tie into the culture issue that we have. And like I said, it's not one test doesn't determine fitness. The culture determines fitness. That's the thing that you need to take away from this whole thing. Culture determines fitness. It does. If you have a hard culture, you're going to have good fitness. Soft culture, you're not going to have good fitness. That's how it is. Okay. The Army 2030 plan follows the priorities provided in the 
2022 National Security Strategy and National Defense Strategy, which identified China as a Defense Department's pacing challenge and Russia as a acute threat and maintain North Korea, Iran, and violent extremist organization as persistent threats. Okay, so we always produce a national security strategy. Okay, this is the direction we're going to go. That's what this is, right? So this actually article is from a, uh, a website called War on the Rocks. It's a national security insider. This was written by General James Rainey and Lieutenant General Laura Potter. It's called Delivering the Army of 2030. We always predict the Army 2030, Army 2035. We're going to look at the Army 2040. Okay, and that's how we that's how we view. We always look at five to seven to ten year plans. Okay, and that's how we always produce that. Okay, when we do all of our all of our budgeting, it's always it's always years ahead. These idea, these people we identified, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, okay, these are wars of attrition, okay? So let's, let's break this up. China and Russia are a conventional war. That means they match up. We have armor, they have armor. They, we have air, they have air. We have ground soldiers, they have ground soldiers. They have special operations. Conventional forces, conventional combat matches up. Asymmetrical combat does not. Asymmetrical means these guys are way stronger these guys are dissolved into guerrilla warfare. So if you look at Iraq, we came in, we smashed them pretty good, then they broke down. When they broke down to guerrilla warfare, we had Fallujah, the, where I was, uh, the Haifa Street place where I was at, the Salter Cities, the things of that nature. This was That was asymmetrical warfare. We dominated you with fire superiority. So you were like, okay, great. Hey, we'll fight. We'll fight in the... In the woods, we'll fight in the, in the in the urban environments. That's what we'll do. Basically, it's the same thing that would happen if we got ever got invaded. It will be an asymmetrical fight because we will be fighting in guerrilla tactics. That's how it works. Okay, but when you're fighting the big the China's and North Korea's, Iran's, and Russia's, those are wars of attrition. That means we are going to go into. I have more soldiers than you. How are we going to get there? That's how we're going to get there. Wars of attrition come down to culture. Who is with? There's two things you cannot defy. I, I, I'm going to say this. There's two things you can't defeat in combat. And this has kind of been my guiding line. Okay. You can't defeat morale. You can't defeat religion. Okay. And I say that like this. If if you have a well morale fit culture or, or just bloodthirsty, you may beat them, but you didn't defeat them because you're going to lose a lot more. I use the... Uh, Battle Thermopylae with the with the Spartans, their culture, right? That's a great example, historic example. Uh, you also can't defeat religion if your ideologically like is to kill all infidels, and you're willing to kill yourself for that. You can't defeat that. You just basically have to wipe that whole idea out, and the idea keeps growing and spreading. So that's the two things you can't defeat. So if your culture is strong enough to, to maintain that level of salty, that morale, that we are going to dominate the battlefield. These wars of attrition that we'll face, we can win that, okay? But that's what we've gotten away from. We've taken the ACFT and nerfed it down to a point where now we're like, well, we need to get rid of this because it's not going to do a good job, and we really should just be focusing on the culture, all right? I'm sorry. The culture has to be slightly salty. It has to be slightly toxic compared to what society thinks toxic is because combat is toxic. Combat is. I mean, it's not going to be like they're not. there's no – you know, inclusive, diverse combat. They're, they're, it's all one. They're all, you know, there's not, it's like, oh, hey, I'm not going to, you know, your fitness level's not here. I'm not going to shoot you today. That's not how it works. Okay. We got to focus on keeping the standard here. 
and bringing us to a standard. And I told it in another podcast, I said that the Army's going through an identity crisis, and they are. They're trying to be hip. And the reason is, I was like, generations now, you know, you don't have your grandfather, your father who served in there. Those are kind of disappearing. So now you're having more competitive college offers, um, more uh, better job market. Most of the soldiers now, you know, had better career opportunities than when I joined. I literally got in the Army because I had no plan B. Graduated May 12th, May 13th, no plan. No plan at all. Yep. And uh, that's exactly how this happened. We'll talk about next week's podcast. But the culture back then has carried with me till now. Now, the toxicity, the pros of that is you have a mental resiliency that can carry you through a lot of trials. Because like, you've been there. You know the greater good. You know what that what drives you. Toxic is you have less empathy when you really do need empathy. And that's the problem to a degree. It kind of dehumanizes you to a degree. However, combat does the same thing. If you came up in this toxic but needed culture, combat, as I talked to a, a good peer, my good friend of mine, we both talked about how freeing it was being on those deployments. Like every moment we could die, but because how we were brought up, it was the most freeing time because you're, you're basically – it's like if you're let a dog off a leash at a park and say, just go play. And they just take off the free and they're going hard as they can. And they look the most happiest you've ever seen. Like a big lab just out of running. That's what you feel like when you're out there on patrol. Because you came up in this culture that you just prepared you for this moment. As soon as you take this leash off, bro, I'm I'm going. I'm going hard. And that's what we've kind of gotten away from because we're trying to be in this societal like little, little bubble and cater to these people here. And say, hey, look, you know, these uh these people here, we we gotta be at their level. We all we're all one. We're all one. Everyone gets a participation trophy. That's not how it works. Sorry, sorry. Communicate. That's not how it works. Okay. So I'm gonna finish this this statement with this right here. This is also from the. This is the. This is the closing statement of the delivering the army of 2030. Technological advances drive change in how armies organize and fight. While war remains a violent bloody contest of wheels between humans because people live on the land conflicts will continue to be decided by a force capable of seizing and holding ground victory is and always will be reliant on cohesive teams disciplined fit ready to fight and win when i got in and i'm still like this today we ran with lions Every one of us who made and during basic training, not everyone who went downrange didn't make it through. They would just disappear. It's weird that like they would go AWOL and just disappear. It's crazy. However, like that right there, like the like the pack that we came out at. If you if you've seen the full metal jacket where he talks about we could graduate and they can take everything, you have that mentality. You get really humbled when you get to your unit, but even then you're there when you get there and you re-earn your place of the lions and the great men that you're with. Or, or, or women, depending on your unit, you get there and you're there with them and you're you're elevating yourself. That's how it is. Okay. Discipline, cohesive, fit, and ready to ready to fight. You're going to win. You're ready. You're going to win. You have that mentality. We're going to win this fight. And you're going to win the fight. All right. Mentally strong. That's what the culture produced. Again, one test does not determine fitness. Culture determines fitness. And that's what we need to address. This studies, everything that we're doing could be solved if we look at the Army culture as a whole and say, are we preparing our soldiers? 
Are we done talking about buzzwords? Are we being the are we being the people that we have to be to for the evils that are out there? And, and it is it's a price you pay when you sign the line. You say, hey, look, I'm sacrificing a part of myself for the greater good. Okay, and that's how it is. On that, I appreciate everyone for listening. Again, uh, thank you all for tuning in. I am Justin Fisher, signing off.